Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, making cloud buying easier for agencies and industry. Why not just incorporate them into the into the underlying schedule contract and compete directly off the schedule contract, right? Now is the time to get a leg up on the next pandemic. As we recover and realign from this pandemic, we're already preparing for what's next, right? So efforts are fully underway to help make sure that we're strengthening our public health ecosystem so we have better access to real-time data. And the VA hits the gas pedal through automation. We're processing death claims about 40% faster than industry standards. Insurance applications are about 13% faster than best in class. And then our loans and cash surrenders are about 33% faster uh, than the industry standard. It's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Salesforce. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Personnel Management violated federal law when it reprogrammed appropriated funds to support the agency's merger into the General Services Administration, according to the Government Accountability Office. OPM eliminated its Office of Strategy and Innovation in May 2020. GAO finds that closure violates a section of the 2020 Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act. Two Army generals are up for new assignments that oversee the service's modernization and transformation efforts. Lieutenant General Randy George would pin a fourth star and become the next Army Vice Chief of Staff. Lieutenant General Gary Brito would receive a promotion to General 2 and become Commanding General of Army Training and Doctrine Command. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The 13th year of Fed Talks launches August 24th. High-level leaders in government, industry, and academia will offer lightning talks, keynotes, and fireside chats. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The General Services Administration is making progress on some of its highest-profile contracts. Today is restart day for the Polaris contract GSA. Roger Waldron is president of the Coalition for Government Procurement. He's former acting deputy chief acquisition officer at GSA. Roger, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Laura Stanton describing this on the show just a few days ago, that they're going to restart Polaris by the end of the month. Today's the end of the month, and that struck me when she said it as a tremendously short timeline for companies to kind of get back with this program. What did you think as you heard that and and as you analyze what it means moving forward? Welcome, Roger. Well, first of all, uh, Francis, thanks for having me on the show. And, you know, and I'll just take a step back. And, and I've said this before. I think, you know, um, GSA, um, I think, should be commended for taking the step back, trying to be thoughtful about about um, the procurement and actually seeking uh, feedback from its industry partners, you know, the small business community. It's a tough, the small business contracts in particular, are a tough area to try to navigate because, you, because first of all, you're in a certain sense dividing markets, right? Because you have certain companies that qualify in certain situations, others that don't. And then the evaluation criteria also impact uh, small businesses uh, more in a more pronounced way than they probably do on large businesses, right? So it's a tough thing to navigate. Um, and I think what they'll probably do is also is clearly you mentioned response time. They'll give companies, uh, you know, time to digest the changes and respond appropriately 
you know, to those changes, to the change framework that they come up with. There are four basic elements that I covered with Laura in that conversation, and it's in the archive at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Polaris is one. We talked about Stars 3. We talked about the new edition of Alliant. Alliant 3 is in the earliest stages. And we talked about Ascend, the cloud BPA that they're working on. What of those about any of those is top of mind for you right now as you're talking to the community that will try to sell into those contracts eventually and and service the government customer? Um, I think top of mind because it, it it's the closest to fruition is the Ascend BPA. Um, and, you know, GSA, um, you know, put out an RFI so you can feedback on it. Um, we have uh, provided comments uh, from a coalition perspective, um, and you know, and I understand GSA is going to continue to have ongoing conversations about the scope and shape of this moving forward. And you know, we appreciate that transparency. I guess there's two issues with uh, the Ascend BPA that um, I hear most often from from members currently. Big two big structural issues. And of course, there's issues around this. Um, the requirements and in, in the pricing and um, and the services to be required, whether it's labor hour rates and that sort of thing. But the big one, number one, is uh, you know vertical contract duplication, and that is so. So GSA has its scheduled contracts. It's going to compete this BPA. Then it's going to um, and companies are going to spend bid and proposal costs get the BPA, a government wide BPA. Then they're going to have to compete at the task order level, and companies to make investments of their BNP costs, they have to be able to explain to their executive management, here's the potential return we have, or here's the return we have. And the, and the challenge with the Ascend BPA is that um, currently to date, there are no requirements on it. Like there's no age specific agencies listed uh, as to who will be using it. It's just characterized as a government wide BPA. And correspondingly, their requirements are not, you know, how, their estimated requirements, how much they're gonna buy are not included in the in the drafts to date. Now, maybe GSA is going to address that. We'll wait and see. But they do have to address it because the underlying uh, schedule regulations specifically require for multi-agency BPAs that you list the agencies and their estimated requirements. So GSA is going to have to address that at some point, and we'll see. That's a hu- that's the huge you know market issue. The second issue that I hear about a lot is this requirement in the Ascend BPA that. Uh, the whoever gets the award, uh, the multiple co- uh, companies theoretically you get the award or contractors. They're they're going to have to compete for seventy five percent of the task orders, regardless of whether they're you know it's a there's a business case for them competing for it or not. And they view that artificial sort of pro competition mem- measure as actually anti competitive. It, it forces them to make decisions on an arbitrary basis that they have to meet, you know, a performance measure in the contract, whether on what, rather than focusing on the merits of the technical requirements, the requirements the agency is seeking and competing for that, you know, the business case from their perspective. So I asked you before we went on the air about this very issue, if a company gets on a contract and they don't want to, they don't want to compete for 75% of the deals on it, why did they get on it in the first place? I mean, and maybe the number's 40%, maybe the number's 25%. But at some point, I would think if you're GSA and if you're the agencies, you want companies on that deal that are going to be interested in your 
task order that are going to be interested in in selling to you. And if you're not, then maybe you don't want to compete for it in the first place. Well, I mean, that's I mean, that's the best explanation I've heard, Francis. <laughs> I think I told you that before. You did very uh, kindly you know, when we were talking just generally about the, you know about these issues. But, you know, I, I go back to like, you know, fundamentally, the goal should be to try to create an environment where you know, where competition is driven by the merits of the underlying customer need, right? And placing an arbitrary competition requirement skews the numbers. It's a false narrative. So you create a situation where companies are not bidding on something because it's in their economic self-interest to do it. So they want to get the business. They're bidding on it because they have to meet an arbitrary government requirement. The flip side of that is that you know, customer agencies are then spending their money evaluating proposals that the companies ha have submitted, not because they want to, but because they have to. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's, 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 I, I, I'm a purist in this sense, right? You know, the con the contract should rise or fall based on the requirements. And one of the things like lessons learned, and I know Laura's looking at that to her credit and her team's credit lessons learned in, in looking, one of the key features is the volume of task orders that go through the contract if it's an it's it's a it's a mutual like attraction here right if it's mm -hmm. a good contract and you have good companies on it customer agencies are going to use it and industry is going to reply to requirements that are sound right and there's a sound business opportunity there not an arbitrary number i've uh, heard it called a procurement tax i've also he heard the term for the first time like show proposals like they put together, you know, this, yep. you know, this is like paperwork yep. exercise. Like a so. show pony. You just put it out there to make it look good. No, I understand what you're getting at. And I guess that gets to really what I think was the bottom line of this whole of the whole point of Ascend. And Laura says they built this because they wanted to make it easier for agencies to procure cloud services. Take off your industry uh, advocate hat and put on sure. your old GSA hat is what you see so far doing that and what gets both the customers of GSA and the agency itself to that end state of now we've got something that makes it easier for agencies to buy cloud and because of that they'll use it um i would say GSA is making I'm taking off my industry. Head yes. Head, right so that's hard to do what although <laughs> not so hard i spent 20 years at GSA um, you know, GSA's made progress. You know, they've issued a policy on consumption-based pricing for uh, task orders under the schedules. Uh, I think you know the Ascend BPA is a good exercise in the in the context that they're trying to identify specific you know re common requirements that agencies seek across uh, you know, their cloud services and incorporate them in the BPA. The quest, there's two questions and things that I would encourage GSA to look at. Number one, should those, if those things are common things that people want, you know, in their cloud services, why not just incorporate them into the into the underlying schedule contract and compete directly off the schedule contract, right? That would save a lot of people. That's more efficient at the end of the day. And you don't have to make a mandatory if some companies don't want to sign up to them, their schedule offering will not have those. It's you know, and the other thing I think they need to do look at is clearly look at pricing, the pricing model for the schedules versus cloud services. It's a hard fit together. You know, cloud services 
uh, pricing varies, you know, you know, but uh, significantly, you know, it's, you know, by the day, by the month, by whatever, and the mo- and the vo- model doesn't lend itself to sort of the commercial sales practices, cookie cutter sort of approach that, you know, some of the pricing policy. So, so modernizing that pricing policy for this type of service, I think would be a huge step to help to make it easier for customer agencies to access and to make it easy for commercial firms to participate in the market. Roger Waldron, always great to talk to you, my friend. Have a great holiday weekend. Thanks for joining me. You do the same. You can read more about those contracts and find a link to my conversation with Laura Stanton in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, a programming note that the Daily Scoop podcast will observe the Independence Day holiday this coming Monday. So no show Monday, a new episode tomorrow, off on Monday, then another new episode Tuesday, July 5th of the Daily Scoop podcast. The president's management agenda includes rebuilding the federal workforce and improving customer experience as two of its primary pillars. Some agencies are starting to combine those two pillars to treat their employees as customers. Sean Kennedy is vice president, general manager for health and life sciences at Salesforce. Salesforce sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. Sean, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. One example of that that always jumps out at me is VA. They've even created customer experience journeys for their employees, really gotten into this concept. What are you seeing as kind of the state of the art in the government for that? And why is that so important? What are those kind of customer experience efforts uh, trying to address in your view? Welcome. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Francis. Really appreciate it. And you're right. It really is a trend. We're looking at our employees as people that we need to serve and we need to serve well, because if we don't serve them well, they're going to leave. And this is a big area of interest. The VA is doing some pretty amazing things there. But when we start thinking about ways that we can engage our employees and treat them like we treat our customers, it becomes really important. So being able to put them on different journeys that are more personalized journeys with frameworks and ways that we can invite feedback from our employees and educate our employees so they can continue to be great at what they do is a really important part of what we want to do to support their mental health and emotional well-being. And it also supports this concept of business resiliency. When you can start to think about your employees is arguably the greatest asset an organization has to be able to make sure that they're working optimally, most productively, and being able to understand when things aren't going right so that you can course correct them. It's a big area of interest. And ultimately, being able to uh, help manage the overall cost of the business and making sure that your employees are really working as productively as they can and getting all the care and taking advantage of all the benefits that they've earned as being part of the organization. And we think there's a big trend in the government space there. And Frankly, outside the government globally, employees are really at the center of what everyone is working to capitalize on. Historically, for all the years I've been in this space, Sean, every leader that I talk to says my most important assets, my people. So that's not new. What is new, I think, is the the challenge, the worry, whether it's an IT leader, an acquisition leader, uh, a human capital leader, or a financial management leader, doesn't matter. They're all saying the same thing. I'm worried about my people burning out because when people work remotely, they are seeing these folks on at all hours of the day and night, seven days a week, and so on. And I, I wonder what the techniques are that these leaders should be implementing to address that. And, and, 
and how you fix that in the government space? Yeah, it's a great question. And burnout is real. And frankly, it's significant. And so when we think about our government workers, from public health practitioners to community health nurses to emergency responders, they've been on the front line responding to COVID, to social unrest, and in the remarkable rapid pace of change. And they've been doing amazing work, but they've been running in kind of foul weather for a long time. And it's draining and it leads to this burnout. And that burnout can have the negative effect on those you serve, whether they be patients or residents or others you call your customer. Companies have to respond to it because one of the analysts out there, Forrester, they made a big comment where they talked about how every company bringing employees back will become a healthcare company and care delivery will entrench itself in the workplace indefinitely. And the reality is the pandemic transformed the dynamic between employers and employees. One, one example indicates that 91% of employees believe their employees should care about their emotional health. So we talk about burnout. It's important to start by saying it's real. And surveys certainly bear this out by saying 65% of employees in the government report feeling burned out. And there's a couple of things that we see that, that factor into this. One of them is that our public professionals are on the front line during the pandemic experiencing you know, the full weight of COVID. The nature of the job was hard, but it got a lot harder. It was increasingly real and personal. And the other is that getting things in government Getting it done is hard. There's just so much friction, so much hassle, documentation, cross-checking in the system, in the other. There's a huge manual part of this current automation. And the good news is that we can do things about it. And the idea is that wellness has really shifted from simply the ability of individuals to address normal stresses to ensuring holistic support for the employee with the understanding that people are not one-dimensional. So leadership change management become really big parts of this. But the other part of it is that friction. And automation is going to drive this incremental productivity without increasing workload. And the process needs to be a testament to a culture that believes in this continual improvement. And so the, the lack of integrated systems makes it harder for workers to do their jobs. This hassle factor really has been ever present, but I think by addressing this idea of wellness and reducing the friction, we now start to target some of these issues of burnout. Yeah, I love the term hassle factor because that's connected on some level from what I hear anecdotally and, and, and what people tell me they see in data to the the back to the, this presence management agenda connection that I made at the beginning of our conversation. Um, the President Biden and, and the administration people that have talked about it, the PMA in particular, have said that the, they see that rebuilding the workforce is a key pillar to reestablishing trust in the government. They use that word trust on an ongoing basis. Um, it strikes me that that's the challenge for agencies in their internal customers, too, to think about emotional health as an opportunity to build trust with the employees and thereby with the employees, then the people that they serve. Am I, am I making that connection the right way or am I kind of thinking about it backwards? No, Francis, you really are. That's exactly what needs to happen is ultimately for our for the constituents. So the stakeholders, the customers, the governments are serving if they don't have that great experience with the organization, then they probably are going to start to lack that trust. And one of the things that we see out there is while the majority of Americans kind of agree public health agencies and public health information are vital to the health of the nation, 
Only 41% trust local and state health governments. At the same time, people are increasingly taking accountability of their own health, but often do so through these unreliable sources and non-medical professionals. So this erosion of trust is quickly becoming a thorn in the side of community well-being. For healthcare, public health, reliable information can mean the difference between life and death which means building trust needs to be a top priority. That's why effective use of technology to capture public health information and data, help health organizations foster public trust and deliver a more comprehensive holistic experience. And I'll just say from a, a patient perspective, right? As an example, every time that patient connects to your health system, government system, each touch with that patient has the opportunity to build a great experience. And over time, that accumulated trust delivered by the government professionals gives the health system the opportunity to better engage the patient when they need to. So as an example, encouraging them to get a vaccination. If they trust what they're saying, they're more likely to take action on what they're asking them to do. You wrote recently, we, ex we essentially experienced a five-year leap forward during the pandemic, but we may not be able to maintain that momentum. That comports your observation of the public health system comports with what I'm hearing about information technology and remote work and so on. A uh, lot of gains in a short period of time. It's probably not reasonable to assume we'll make five more years of progress over the next two years. But what maintains that momentum that you're worried about us losing? Yeah, well, that that's a, another great point here because we lost a lot during COVID, but that's that silver lining is that we really had uh, an opportunity to speed up our digital transformation efforts. Um, so we want to make sure that we're continuing to use these things that we had in place. So as an example, we employed thousands of contact tracers. We launched modernized vaccination management systems all put in place during the pandemic. The reality is that those things don't go away. Sadly, we still have other infectious diseases to track and to immunize against, though the volume of users declines. So we mature those into adjacent use cases. So now moving forward, those same platforms can help now control future outbreaks of other infectious diseases, the flu, measles, Ebola, syphilis. They can also be used to more easily communicate information about the outbreak with the public and mobilize mass vaccination efforts. Now you can also reimagine how the employee experience for service agents, getting back to your other questions and tying it to this one, can really unlock those better experiences for healthcare consumers overall. Call centers traditionally prioritize average handle time and speed to answering, making it difficult for agents to provide the personalized experience healthcare consumers really need. The metrics ignore quality and overwork agents, ultimately leading to de decreased performance, decreased job satisfaction, and higher turnover rate. And lastly, I'd say that now that public, now that the data in public health registries, like immunization data, lab registries, it's more available, it's more usable. We can monitor disease indicators in real time to detect outbreaks or disease earlier than would be otherwise. So public health really needs these modern tools. The pandemic brought them. We got to continue to use them to promote healthy communities and stay ahead of what may come next. Well, and what comes next is where I wanted to wrap up. We're almost out of time, but it strikes right. me that we're we talk all the time. Oh, there's going to be another pandemic, and, and I'm not contesting that, but. I wonder if maybe that's the wrong idea to pursue at this point, Sean. I wonder if just maintaining the ongoing general public health isn't where public sector health leaders should be thinking 
rather than how do we prepare or stay ready for the next one? Because the next one might not be, uh, it might not be soon, hopefully not soon. That's right. And the public health emergencies are always changing. So wildfires were a pretty big deal that we're constantly dealing with, very different than COVID as an example. But as we recover and realign from this pandemic, we're already preparing for what's next, right? So efforts are fully underway to help make sure that we're strengthening our public health ecosystem so we have better access to real-time data and that healthcare and public health data is more accessible to one another. So I think you're gonna to continue to see as we look to the future and kind of where this may be going and how we prepare for a more resilient future, is we're gonna see the stronger public-private coordination where healthcare, public health, employers generally, and technology providers are gonna to have to work together to take care of what we all have in common, which is people. And to support them, we'll see employers armed with capability to enable this more resilient workforce who can carry on their mission from wherever they need to be to best do their job. And that may be in the relative safety of their home or maybe on site, but with safety protocols more quickly established. Um, we also probably gonna see a workforce that can more quickly be pointed to adjacent use cases and reskilled to using existing tools and capabilities in new ways. So we did that with vaccine management by extending our contact tracing infrastructure that was built. Um, communication is gonna be really key and wanna make sure that everyone's being communicated in a manner they wanna be communicated with to promote and preserve trust. And this is all gonna be made possible with the ongoing adoption of what we would call modern, cloud-based, always on, in real time, highly configurable technology platforms that have tools such as omni-channel communication, configurable workflows, actionable analytics, uh, connectors to other systems and tools that connect service providers to customers in an increasingly equitable and accessible manner. It's all really critical to making sure that these organizations that are now increasingly going to be healthcare companies are able to really deliver on the promise to their employees and frankly, give out more benefits. These are going to be a competitive differentiator in the future that the company giving out better employee benefits, health benefits is increasing. It'll be looked at something that's going to uh, help bring people into an organization and keep them there. Sean, thanks very much for the conversation. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you, Francis. Appreciate it. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. Learn more at sfdc.co slash PSH. The Department of Veterans Affairs is taking its automation efforts to its insurance operation. That effort is part of the agency's broader drive to improve customer experience. Daniel Keenahan is executive director of the VA Insurance Service at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Dan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What exactly is it that you're bringing this automation process to? And what are some of the processes that you're trying to automate? Welcome. Francis, thanks so much for having me here today to talk about what the Veterans Affairs and Veterans Benefit Administration are doing to honor uniform service. Uh, specifically, we're trying to automate more to meet our veterans and customers where they are. 
we're taking efforts in alignment with online document access. We're increasing uh, document uploads. We're providing online payment options in partnership with the Department of the Treasury. We've introduced instant loan features. And recently we've rolled out uh, DocuSign, which is a, a software program many people are familiar with, but it allows for non-veterans uh, beneficiaries to make claims in a way that's very user-friendly and doesn't skip any steps. So we're really trying to meet our customers where they are in a, in a way that meets their needs. You get a couple of elements there that I think are really fascinating. What's the integration like when you're undertaking a project like this and you're working with another agency? Like you cited Treasury a moment ago, and they might do things differently than VA does. They might have different processes or policies or whatever. Connecting those two together, what's that look like and, and who all is involved? Who all's at the table as you're trying to make those connections, Dan? So that's a really great, great question. Our teams work well together across the interagency. We have partners within defense, commerce, uh, homeland security, health and human services, as well as uh, the Department of the Treasury, OMB, Social Security, and more. And a lot of it winds up being uh, some busy staff work in order to identify what the overarching goal is in order to honor you know, whether it's a current service member or a veteran, honor their service in a way that meets their needs. And then, you know, spending a lot of time figuring out the intricate project management planning, you know, figuring out an integrated master schedule, identifying risks or things that can't fester and over communicating those challenges, because there are frankly quite a few. And uh, whether it's establishing a new memorandum of understanding, an interagency agreement for exchange of funds, or, uh, or frankly, just, you know, getting into the testing and who's going to be using this, there's, it, it can get complex. And so sometimes the timeline to implement it is a little bit longer than you might otherwise want. But ultimately, uh, we're able to consistently deliver you know, new services that our customers are willing to expect. I was going to ask you what the key is to that interagency cooperation and collaboration. But one word you used, I think, might sum it up, and that's over communicating. I imagine that that communication, this is how we do it. How do you do it to get to whatever the integration is that's necessary is probably the key element, isn't it, Dan? Having a shared common operating picture and looking at things from multiple different vantages, not going in with the, the mindset that I have the right answer, but just saying, these are the facts that I have currently and looking at it uh, from another vantage and understanding how another agency may have limitations that we don't have and then figuring out what's the right way to get to yes. Sometimes is it a, a change in law, which has a longer timeline? Is it a change in the federal register? Or is it something that we can do agency to agency that allows us to be very collaborative? Another term that you use that I really like is meeting the veteran where they are. And when uh, that particularly struck me when you talked about DocuSign, because I think if agencies were undertaking, and I'm not picking on VA, this is every federal agency. I think if this were 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the agency would say, okay, we want some way for somebody to sign virtually. So we're going to put out a request for proposal, and it's this five-year waterfall project when the technology already exists. What's the significance in your view that the agency is now able to leverage these technologies that already exist and that therefore the veteran is already familiar with so that when she encounters that, it's something she's already done in the private sector and can do it right away? That strikes me as a very important 
customer experience milepost? Within the VA insurance service, we're trying to you know go through an overall modernization effort. And the the you know the strategic direction I'm trying to take my team is is frankly just to get out of paper, right? Because we've existed for over a hundred years. We have reams and reams of paper that have been moved to microfiche and, and you know then be automated. And and those are monumental shifts. It as our customers have changed the way they interact with services they expect, you know, the way we provide those services need to change as well. And so understanding best practices um, that are out there in the private sector are things that we're trying to bring um, you know, to the Veterans Benefit Administration to benefit all business lines. And fortunately, uh, I've been given you know, some latitude in order to explore these things. The VA as an agency has a, a, um, a large license uh, for DocuSign, and we've been the first in VBA to use it, but other parts of the VBA are, or excuse me, other parts of VA are using it as well. And, and we found it, you know, very beneficial reducing the amount of mail that needs to be sent back and forth, as well as uh, increasing turnaround times when people, frankly, you know, are filing a death claim and going through some difficult times and potentially can use those funds in order to meet, you know, the veteran's final wishes or carry on, you know, with life um, after the loss of a loved one. You talked about taking your organization out of paper. Every federal agency just has tons of paper processes. How do you approach either the particular benefit that we're talking about today, the life insurance process, or any benefit broadly? How do you think about transforming a business process in the midst so that you're not just digitizing the paper process and you wind up with 15 steps where maybe you only needed eight of those steps in 2022? So... Obviously, you know, we're coming, we're on the tail end, hopefully, of a pandemic, right? And we had a goal to modernize, you know, back in, in 2018, and we've been on a journey uh, to do so over the past four years. What the pandemic did and everybody's transition to working from home, frankly, accelerated it. And so when we had everybody starting working from home, we really took a look and said, what is essential? Really leaning it out following like a Lean Six Sigma model of what are the critical steps? And then, you know, me asking tough questions about why does this need a manual touch? Or what, you know, why does this need to be documented on paper? What's the certification that we need? And we've been able to adjust things where previously we may have needed an original document, but we established controls that allow us to verify the authenticity of something um, such as a death certificate, and then are able to automate it and, and frankly, you know, meet our meet our customers, you know, where they are, as you know, you had highlighted. How do you track that back end of that, Dan? How do you how do you know that you're being successful in meeting the veteran where she is at the in the particular journeys that you're helping that that veteran experience? So investment in data analytics, uh, standing up a uh, performance and analytics and oversight team has significantly helped us to improve our overall inventory management. Not, not, not as, no longer is it you know, first in, first out, or, or last in, first out, but we're actually able to identify you know, how to handle cases and claims in a way that makes sense. It allows us to reduce um, you know, the time it takes to, to do things and, um, you know, without, 
you know, getting too much into the details, I'm really excited that, you know, we're processing death claims about 40% faster than industry standards. Insurance applications are about 13% faster than best in class. And then our loans and cash surrenders are about 33% faster uh, than the industry standard, which means if someone applies for a, a loan against the cash value of their insurance policy, they're basically going to see that in their checking account in two to five business days, depending upon uh, how long it takes the bank to process it, not the VA. What's your plan or what's your idea, thought about maintaining the momentum? Because you're not the first person that said the pandemic has driven uh, a whole lot of change in a short period of time. And I wonder how it's unreasonable to think you're going to accomplish in the next two years what people have been forced to accomplish in the last two. But I wonder what your idea is to try to at least maintain the the forward moving momentum. So we're going about it in in three different ways. And it's really, you know, my goal is to educate, automate and collaborate. We're educating veterans and and military families on the importance of insurance in uh, in their lives and that the VA provides uh, competitive rates at a value. We're automating more um, to be able to reduce the number of manual touches and frankly um, figure out how we can provide it as instantly as possible. And then collaborating in order to get that message out through partners like you, as well as the interagency and OMB and Congress and the private sector uh, to understand who else is, is doing things that are on the cutting edge. What, what does the future look like um, in an IT cloud environment? What does the future look like from a training environment? So as we're bringing on you know, more employees, we also have the opportunity uh, to introduce them to the new skills of how we want to do things and not how we you know, historically have done things. Dan, final thought. Um, how is this impacting your workforce? One of the issues that uh, people have been talking about about automation is the ability to free people up from doing rote work to let them do, you know, really thoughtful brain work. Is that something that you've seen manifest itself in this operation? Absolutely. We are very excited. Um, We are fortunate uh, that we have the first new program uh, called VA Life that's going to go live on January 1st of 2023. And, you know, we're actually freeing up uh, labor power and hiring more people so that we can grow this new program because we anticipate a significant demand in our services. And without that kind of modernization effort where it's going to be a fully automated application online, we wouldn't be able to handle the volume of activities. And then I have uh, teams that are also you know, working with the, the private sector to understand what are those best practices and our call uh, center times are, are, you know, again, above industry standards, but we are consistently achieving average time, average uh, seconds to answer under 20 seconds, which is, you know, which is phenomenal and really, you know, kind of like picking up on the third ring. Uh, so our customers feel that, that their needs are being met. Dan Keenahan of the uh, VA Insurance Service. It's great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. You can read more about the VA's customer experience work in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. 
and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast, back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.